Hey, I gotta tell you guys about something, and I'm really excited to talk about this because I got a brand new front door lock. And it's not just any lock, it's a Eufy video lock. You might be thinking, what's the big deal, Chael? Well, okay, I'm gonna tell you. First off, it is sleek. I mean, it's a very big deal. My father used to build houses. My whole life, I've known how important curb appeal is. I used to be in real estate. When I show somebody a house, the front door is the very first thing you see. This thing is a piece of art. It truly is, and it's such a good looking piece of hardware. It instantly upgraded my front door. I was excited about the functionality. So not only do I get an instant makeover with a piece of art, you now have a different level of protection. It's a smart lock. It's got a 2K camera with audio and doorbell all in one. Most competitors are either just a camera or a smart lock. The Eufy Video Lock has both plus a doorbell and it can all be controlled via an app, which makes things so convenient. I hate when I hear the doorbell ring and I'm comfortable inside. I gotta get up, go to the door, just to find out it's a delivery man who dropped the package and is already long gone. The Eufy Video Lock now allows me to avoid all of that. I can just peek at the app. I can even talk to him or hear him talk back to me. Also, my wife and I travel a lot. It's an added level of security at my front door and it makes me feel a little bit more at ease. It was very easy to install. No, there are no monthly fees for the security video storage. The battery is rechargeable and each charge lasts about four months. The Eufy Lock is fantastic and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. Do that by going to Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you gain complete control of your door. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's happening guys? Happy Wednesday and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you all had a great holiday weekend with your families and I hope you're ready for the next two weeks of fights which I can't wait for. Coming up on today's show, Khabib has some kind words for Justin Gaethje. A fan of the show gave me a great idea for a fight and per tradition. I'll tell you the latest with John Jones and where we stand for his next fight. That's all coming up later. But let's first begin with some news around one of the UFC's biggest upcoming stars. Chemayev got on a roll last night, guys. Did you see this? Chemayev went to Twitter. And Chemayev, I mean, he was throwing things in all sorts of directions. He told Colby Covington, uh, call the police, I'm coming for you. He went after George St. Pierre in a current versus uh, yesteryear. A type theme match. He went after Daniel Cormier in a straight-up freestyle wrestling match. Now, of all the things that he did, and I would like to break each of them down, everybody's got to associate their name with George St. Pierre. That's just a good, smart thing to do. Great. Set that aside. He went after Colby. One problem that Chemayev has, and I don't know that I'm completely comfortable saying problem, 
because he does everything right. I just don't know another word to use. So I'm going to call it a problem. One problem Chemayev has is he is so eager and he is so open to anybody that he spreads it around real fast. Like right now, for example, he's got his sights on Colby Covington, which Colby set on Chemayev three days ago on Submission Radio. Colby has the same problem, if you will. Colby, it's hard to keep his interest. He will change it fast. Colby's saying Chemayev and Chemayev's saying Colby. That could turn into something. Right now, it's not. That could turn into something. That needs some massaging, right? I, I strongly maintain that if Colby and Usman proved anything to the world, it's that we had the right two guys. So it's going to take a little massaging that anybody could actually deal with chaos. But I think there is some massaging being done on Chemayev's side. I think that he's got everything right right now. I don't know if he can keep Colby's interest. I don't know that Colby can keep his. And if you go look at those guys and you try to figure out who's going to be the A-side, it's a situation where Colby has a lot more to offer than Chemayev does. That's a tough spot. Dana had come out and gave us a little bit of clarity on Chemayev. It was very little, but if you listen closely, read between the lines. Here's all Dana said. I'm not putting him in against Usman. Not right now. He's three or four fights away from fighting Usman. Now, the only reason I bring that to you, if you go get the jump on Colby, you're the number one contender. We could all agree with that. If you're not, you should be. Okay, well, no, that doesn't sound, that doesn't quite sound in line with what Dana was saying about four fights. Four fights kicks the can about 15 months, and that's in a best-case scenario. So that's a little bit light in that direction. And then if you're in Colby's spot, where you do bring that thunder, whatever is next for you, all eyes are going to be on Colby. In some ways, more so than ever. How you respond to a fight is what makes you a fighter. How you do in the fight is what makes you an athlete. They're different. So Colby's going to have a lot of eyes on him because a lot of people agree with me. If he didn't win the world championship that night, he sure as hell proved that he's the next best thing. Okay. Can the same be said for Chemayev? Because if I go back to that statement by Dana, how close do we want to cling to this, this comment by Dana, right? I mean, how close can we cling to anything? But I'm choosing to because it's all that I have. It's the only statement that Dana made in regards to Chemayev and just exactly uh, what a trajectory he is on. Whatever Colby does next, Colby would like to make himself the number one contender. I gotta say the word like, it's gonna be hard to do. Colby getting another shot at the belt while Kamara has it is gonna be hard to do. And if he does do it, if he can change history and be the first guy to get a third crack, right? I mean, Max Holloway's about to do it. Max Holloway is just about to change this whole precedence, this whole historical notion. He's just about to get the third crack with the first two both going against him. So it can be done. But if Colby's gonna do it, he's gonna need a period of time. That's all I suggest. And whatever Colby does next, he doesn't want a period of time. He wants it now. He wants the fast track. And if somebody led him to believe that that's Chemayev, you're going to have Colby's interest. If somebody leads him to believe it's not because Chemayev's on this 3, 4, you know, 12-month, 15-month plan, you're going to lose Colby. But this is where they're at. These two, that's the one thing. Largely, it's now up to you. Colby put it out there to see what you guys would do with it. Shemaya put it out there to see what you guys would do with it. If you guys don't do something and quit, Colby will be, Colby will, somebody else will get under his skin. He'll be in a different direction. And the same thing with Shemaya, which is why I say it's a problem. Both of those guys have a very hard time on just focusing over a grudge match or a competition match when they're both trying to get to the world championship. Then Shemaya called out the bear.
called out Daniel Cormier in a wrestling match. Now, there's only one way you can really call out Daniel. You can't call out Daniel, who everybody loves, who, who's covered in gold in divisions much higher than you have or ever will compete in, and who, the by, by the way, is retired without looking like a jerk. You're going to look like a jerk unless you take the punches away. It's very interesting that Shemayev called out Daniel Cormier for a wrestling match. Now, Daniel responded, which is also what helped to add to this. Right? Shemayev's out there. He's doing the best he can. He's getting his word out there. But nothing helps you more than when somebody, particularly in a seat as high up as Daniel's, responds. And Daniel did. And Daniel said, Hosmet. And now I'm changing it. This is not a quote, but he said, Hosmet. I love and appreciate the attitude. But freestyle wrestling, that's 10 ODC. So you guys understand what that statement means. There's something in wrestling known as a technical fall. I will compare it to the mercy rule in Little League. If one team gets ahead by enough points, the umpire calls the whole thing off so that nobody has to be embarrassed and humiliated and just stand out there while they're getting their ass kicked. And not to mention, we don't have to continue a game when it's so blatantly clear who the winner is going to be. We'll call it mercy rule. The mercy rule in wrestling is if you get 10 points ahead of your opponent, the referee will just stop the match. There is no need to go any further or cause anybody else the energy or the humiliation will stop it. So when Daniel says, I will beat you 10-0, I just want you guys to understand, that was not nice by Daniel. That was aggressive. He did not just tell him, I will beat him. Daniel is saying, I, I, I will beat you so bad, we will invoke the mercy rule of our sport. Now, there's nothing going on between these two, but that's a fun topic. Shemaev has been very impressed. Daniel Cormier is right. That will not only be 10 ODC, that will be 10 ODC in the first round. And if there's any promoter out there that does wrestling who thinks old Chael is wrong, you book that match on the house. I will commentate it for you. So we'll return to Hosman at the end of the show. But before that, I received a message earlier about a fight that wouldn't have title implications like, say, Colby versus Jemiah. But who cares? It would be fun. So let's talk about it. Tommy from the Bronx just reached out to me, told me something. I said, is this public? He said, you can share it. It had to do with Nick Diaz. You guys might have heard this by now, but I just got it. It was Nick Diaz versus Kevin Holland. Now, I like it. Why not? A little bit a little bit surprised by it, only because Nick Diaz is such a major star. But what do you do with Nick Diaz? Nick Diaz at all times is one win away from being in a main event. At all times. He was last time when he fought Robbie Lawler. If he'd have got the jump on Lawler, who knows where Nick would have been. But it would have been a mega fight. Can we agree on that? Yes. You have a star in Nick who needs to work a little bit of the kinks out. We understand that. He's also an ace in jiu-jitsu. You then have Kevin Holland. And Kevin openly has a couple of struggles with the wrestling, but he's also openly, for public view, working on it. And Kevin is going to change weight classes down to 170 pounds, so we've been told. Is that good for Nick or bad? In all fairness, don't forget, Nick, who you believe is a 170-pounder, did his last fight at 185, so does it overly matter? 
Now you got two guys that think they're 70 pounders that are willing to go 85. Maybe that solves a problem. But you still have to play your Nick Diaz card very carefully. You have for sure a star. You do not know if he has title aspirations, if he even wants to go on that run. If he's training that way, if he's looking that way in a gym, but he's still under contract and he wants to do something and everybody wants to see him do it. So you start matching him up very cleverly. And that's where when I see Tommy's recommendation or prediction or possibly inside scoop, I get it. I'm in. Because Kevin Holland is another guy who's one win away from a main event. Nick has been in the main event. Just to remind you guys, so has Kevin Holland. Nobody was on a trajectory like Kevin Holland. This year got a little bit off course, but last year at this exact same time, you couldn't read anything on MMA without reading about Kevin Holland. Guys, you remember that. He did five fights. He did them all in a row. He won them all. He was finishing guys, including Jacare. Kevin Holland was red hot. I submit for you, Kevin Holland starts fighting some really goddamn good guys. And Marvin Vittor, I mean, he's fighting some some absolute studs. But I also never saw Kevin Holland lose a fight. I saw him lose positions. And I saw him lose the same position. So it's one of these things where you, you, you can't write off Kevin Holland, but what do you do with him? What do you do with a guy that has all the potential to be your main event? As a matter of fact, he's already been it. This isn't a conversation. This isn't maybe. We just got to get him back there. And then you have another guy in Nick Diaz who has all the potential to be your main event. This isn't a question. As a matter of fact, he's already been there. What do you do? Well, matching him up is very wise because I am right. I am right when I tell you Nick Diaz is one win away from being a main event. And I'm also right when I tell you Kevin Holland is one win away from being a main event. What do you do if you're a matchmaker? You put them together. You put them together. One of them is going to come out of that, and one of them is going to go right back to the top of the bill. It's a great booking. I don't have any more inside information than that. This could be something the kids are talking about on the underground. I haven't seen it yet. I'm sitting over here with my two viewers selling my window sheen, and I got a text from Tommy from the Bronx, but it makes sense to me. It, I like the match a lot. I do think we need to work on the weight class because we need to learn a couple of things about Nick. Nick did not make 170 pounds because Nick did not prepare properly. We all love Nick, and nobody wants to say anything negative, and I don't feel like I am. That's the truth. We can speak to what happened. Nick did not prepare properly, which greatly affected his calories into his calories out, which we saw on the scale. I feel like Nick overperformed. I don't real I don't know if, if people can remember well enough. We have very short-term memories, right? Just as human beings, but particularly in this sport. How often do we come out after a fight? Go, that was the best fighter in the world. That's the that's the greatest of all time. We do it every week. We do it every week, forgetting what we saw the week before, right? Recency bias is what Errol Hawani calls it, but it's very true and it exists. And I feel as though you may not recall how close Nick was to Robbie Lawler. That's one of the parts of the story that wasn't told. That fight was harder than Diaz was prepared for at the time. It was harder. Robbie had more of an output than Nick remembered. Robbie stood his ground. Robbie was going to the body, punching holes in the gas tank. The fight was harder than Nick thought it was going to be. But Nick was performing. That fight was much closer than even Nick knew at the minute. He said, let's call it for the night. Let's hit the showers. It was closer than Nick knew. 
And I think when, I really think I'm right on this. I think when Nick went home and watched that, I'm like, oh my God, I could have won that thing. He might have been winning. This was stopped in the third round, just to remind you guys. I never saw it. The scores are public, they're accessible. I never saw them personally. But I do know someone that did see him that claims that Nick had won the first round. And if my memory is right, and this was the third, I guess that would mean that Robbie won the second. They were still tied. It was a lot closer fight than people remember. It was a lot closer fight than Nick knew it was at the time. So it is important, though, to at least find out. Nick, what, what do you want to do? Is this a cash grab? That's okay. Everybody goes through that part of their career. But is that what this is? Or is this about contenderships? Is this about getting back? Is this about performing to the best of your abilities, working the rust off, using the Lawler fight, building some momentum, going there with Kevin Holland, getting inside, touching him up a little bit, going to the ground, doing the whole bit? Is that what this is about? Because it would matter. It really would matter. And that star that is Nick Diaz is still a star. But generally, you will put your stars against the absolute top guys. Generally, skills and popularity go hand in hand, but not always. And not always also when it's explainable as Nick. He'd been out for five years. He'd been out for five years. How great do you think he's going to look when you put him in there against a future Hall of Famer? Right? And then it turns out he looked pretty damn good. What do you do? And where's his head at? Is it three rounds? Is it five rounds? Where are these guys going to fight? What weight class is it going to be at? Because I will tell you what's on the line. Both of those guys are one win away from returning to the main event. What it would be on the line in that fight is stardom. One of them's going to take it, and one of them's going to dim. MMA is as cold as it gets. It is as competitive as sport and as life gets. All your chips are in. But make no mistake... Holland versus Diaz is going to be about who goes to the top of the bill on their next one and who possibly doesn't return. Coming up next, I'll continue today's matchmaking theme by giving you the latest on the trilogy fight that we're all dying to see. That's in a moment, but first, I want to tell you about today's sponsor. Guys, have I ever told you about my love for coffee? I put it right up there with the love I have for my family. I thoroughly enjoy my morning cup of coffee before the sun comes up, and on most days, I'll even have an afternoon cup. I'm not one of those people that can't have coffee after a certain time. I can enjoy it all day. My wife and I have been experimenting with different beans, and we recently were introduced to Trade Coffee. It's like a matchmaking site, but for you and coffee. You take a quiz and get a curated match for your liking and coffee brewing mechanism and the coffee is delivered straight to your doorstep. You use a French press, automatic drip? Are you a cold brew person? No problem. Your answers will allow Trade to pair you with the perfect coffee to fit your taste. They will match you to coffees you'll love from over 400 craft coffees and will send you a freshly roasted bag as often as you'd like. Trade also guarantees you'll love your first match. And on the off chance you don't, they'll replace it with a different bag for free. If you're into supporting small American businesses like me, trade partners with over 55 different small businesses across the United States. For our listeners right now, 
Trade is offering your first bag free and $5 off a bundle at checkout. To get yours, go to drinktrade.com slash chael. Use the promo code chael. Then take the quiz to start your journey to the perfect cup of coffee. That's drinktrade.com slash chael. Promo code chael for your first bag free and $5 off your bundle. Enjoy. Connor sent out a tweet. Somebody asked him a question, and it was, will we ever see the trilogy between you and Nate? And Connor said one billion percent. He even spelled out the word percent in all capitals. Okay. Connor's message there and his words, I believe, are different. I believe Connor's words, I apologize, his message is I'm in. Absolutely not even a question. That fight needs to be done. I'm open to that fight. Bring me that fight. That is the message. The words where it will absolutely happen, and look, the clock's against them. We all want to see that fight. I never thought we should have delayed the fight. The general belief was that fight's always going to be good. The first two were good. Number three is going to work. Doesn't matter how much time goes by or what these records guys are, that's always going to work. Okay. I don't disagree. There's been a meaningful amount of time, and that you could absolutely throw that card on the table. That would be blockbuster business and blockbuster news. So I think that conceptually that's true. I just believe you got to make the match you can make when you can make it. I think if we look back over MMA, we have some misses. The fact that Matt Hughes wanted to fight Anderson Silva, and Anderson wanted to fight Hughes, but everybody was in their division. Remember that, guys? No champ champ. You stayed in your division no matter what. John Jones and Anderson Silva had to go into a basement of the UFC facility where there was a ring set up to go figure that out between the two of them with only Lorenzo Fertitta and Dana White present. I mean, right? Like some guys, they want to know. And I do think as we look back, there could have been some misses there. I'll throw Anderson into it a third time. George St. Pierre, right? I mean, there was some matches that if we look back, it's like, oh gosh, I wish we could have had them. Wish we could have seen that. Connor versus Nate. If you don't make it, I mean, in all fairness, because guys, Connor's saying a couple of different things. He's saying his first fight back is going to be for a championship. He's then guaranteeing that he's going to fight Nate. If I'm to put those together, which takes a little bit of liberty by me, but he's saying he's going to fight for the championship, then he's going to fight Nate. Do you see the problem? If Connor wins the championship, Nate isn't getting a title fight, just by example. So if Connor's saying he's going to fight for the championship and then he's going to fight Nate, he's saying I'm going to lose the championship, which Connor McGregor most definitely would not say. This is where I'm sharing with you the meaning and the words don't align. But the theme is there. The theme is there to the point of percent being spilled out, not just being 10%, 100%, or 1,000%. It was 1 billion percent. But that's an attitude by Connor saying, I want that fight. I will do that. There'll be no problems on my side. Call me. Have a date, have him all show up. That's what Connor's saying. And now, as Nate's story is playing out a little bit, which is that Nate has one fight left on his contract, that he's being offered some stuff that he would need released and clear from that contract to be able to go and do. He'd like to speed this up. He'd like to get out there. Look, Nate's also giving us a message, which is I want to make a whole bunch of money. That's what that whole thing's about. Some ways, these guys serve each other right now. Hey, Nate, I can't let you go. 
You're my guy. I have the right to a return on investment. I've got you to this spot. I'm having a hard time letting you go. But if you wait a little bit, I can get you that whole bunch of money and I can get you it right here. You don't have to go anywhere else. Everything can be solved. You're going to fight Connor when Connor comes back. I'm very light on the idea that Connor comes back and he goes right against Poirier. Absent and subsequent to what Poirier does with Oliveira. If Poirier wins the championship, I feel confident, not certain, I feel confident in telling you guys it is not going to be Connor versus Poirier. For the same reason I laid out for Diaz, I just don't, I just don't think the championship match is in the cards presently. If Poirier loses and turns up the gas and starts going after Connor, right, but you've got some moving parts. This is the problem when you try to wait to make something, and it comes back to my philosophy. You've got to make the match you can make when you can make it. Poirier is now saying he's going to leave the division. He's going to leave 155 and go up to 170. Is that a problem for Connor? Probably not. Connor likes to fight at 172. Connor coming back off of an injury, he's probably going to be running a little bit less. He's probably going to be a little closer to 170. But does it disqualify him? Is Connor on a title run? Does he want nothing but the belt no matter how he has to go through? Right? It depends on the day that you talk to Connor. Sometimes he's just pissed off and he just wants to fight. But some days he's a little bit more calculated and he remembers what this is about, which was the championship. And you never know. You get one answer on the weekend, you get one answer on the weekday. You get one answer today, you get a different answer tomorrow. So it's very hard to pin him down, but it does seem as though everybody here, Connor who wants Nate, Nate who wants a whole bunch of money, and an organization that's a major card to play that they've waited. It seems like if they all come together, now is the time. Now, a guy that is very familiar with Connor McGregor is, of course, Khabib. Khabib did an interview this week, and he made some comments that caught my attention, so let's break them down. Justin Gaethje, and this is a quote from John Attic. John Anik said, Justin Gaethje is your favorite fighter's favorite fighter. And there's a lot of truth to that. And those guys come along very rarely. You remember Big Nog, guys? Big Nog was over in Pride. He'd get his ass kicked, come back and win. Or he would get his ass kicked, but he would try to win nonstop. Even the night that Big Nog became the world champion. And by the way, this is a compliment to Big Nog. Even the night he won the world championship over Tim Sylvia, he got hammered and wanted to get the fight to one position and just kept trying. Kept getting clobbered, kept getting beat up, trying to get to one position. He got there and became the world champion. So these guys are special, right? That Arturo Gotti effect, that's real. And Justin Gaethje has it. Now, all these beautiful things I, I said about Justin, as good as Justin is at fighting, he's equally as bad at media. As good as Justin is at having heart and having grit and being able to walk through anything, he is equally as, as weak in the department of talking to you, the audience, through a microphone. Not, not, not so fast, guys. That is not a true statement. That was a true statement. What I just said was true. Justin Gaethje has now embraced the media. He is the puppet master. Justin Gaethje, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. Benny Darush is going to fight Islam Makhlchev. But those are the two other pieces on the board besides Justin. When Dana announces it's going to be Benny versus Islam, without saying a word, he just announced Justin Gaethje is the number one contender. Now, we all saw that that was the direction it was going, but nothing is done until it's done. 
There was a guy in the WWE who was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Something happened. I believe it was a car. I believe he had he had car problems and couldn't actually get to the event where they walk across the stage. This was 15 years ago. He is still not in the Hall of Fame. So when I tell you nothing is done until it's done, everything's a negotiation. Everything you're doing is talking. Islam started a fight with Justin Gaethje through the media, and Islam held his own. Islam has gotten more traction from his public fight with Justin Gaethje, where all of a sudden you got people jumping in. All of a sudden it's two-on-one, then it's two-on-two, then it's four-on-four. I mean, all the way up to Daniel Cormier. Daniel Cormier backed Islam, upset Gaethje, and I believe Daniel like had to take Justin, he took him golfing. Hey, man, let's talk this out. You know, it wasn't against you. It was something like, I'm real close to the story, if not exactly that. Point being, the only problem that Islam Makhlchev has ever had is for you guys to know who Islam Makhlchev is. For you guys to be behind that name. Perception is reality in life, but maybe never under a clear and more powerful lens than that of combat. Whoever is the most popular is the higher ranked guy. Whoever is the most popular is who the fans believe should be in there. It's one of these things. That's a broad stroke. But it works that way. That was the only thing Islam had against him. So Islam finally stepped up in the world of social media. He didn't have to go on the tours. He didn't have to fly to L.A. He didn't have to go uh, do a week in New York, these media hubs where if you want to get anything done, you got to be in one of those two places. He did it at home. He just embraced social media, but it worked. It absolutely worked. And I bring that to you because Islam has covered more ground not throwing a single punch than he did in three fights, which is a whole year of throwing punches successfully. Great job by Islam. Absolutely great job. Justin Gaethje came out over a week ago, not only declared himself number one contender, he matched Islam up with Benny. Gaethje told me, you have those two guys. I'm going to go fight for the title. You have those two guys fight. And I'll tell you right now, if I win the bell, I will make that the number one contenders match and I'll defend against the winner. And it worked. Justin Gaethje is the puppet master. When I tell you that Justin Gaethje is terrible at media, he was. He is not. He is very good. And the pattern of Justin Gaethje, I'd love to talk to him because there's a couple of questions that nobody's ever asked him. The last 12 months of Justin's life have been very different than the whole rest of his career. He gets done, he gets a huge upset over Tony Ferguson. He goes in, has the Khabib business, but then he took his oars out of the water completely. There was a five month period you could not hear from Justin Gaethje. There was a rumor, Justin was so quiet. His social media is usually pretty good at posting stuff on social media. He's usually pretty good at popping into events. He's usually pretty good at keeping his name out there, calling somebody out, having just enough to say. He was so quiet, there was a rumor, which is completely false, that he was in hot water with USADA. N- none of that's true. I'm, do- I'm To demonstrate the point, when I tell you he went quiet, he went quiet. Why? Why? And what happened in that downtime? Because that's not the same guy. He's ever been as good as fighting. He's always been good at fighting. He's now doing the media. Why I'm trying to bring you guys on this journey, okay? George Masvidal. George Masvidal was just a guy. George Masvidal was clinging to his contract. Wherever his placement was, whoever the opponent was, whatever he could get to show and win, and maybe a sponsor to put something across his t-shirt, he was clinging to like everybody else. Then one day, he wasn't. 
He grew his hair out. He's, he's got the five-second knockout. He's, he's going on a, a tour with presidential candidates. All of a sudden, he's a huge star. And if you went back and you looked at George and the things that he did different, you're probably going to say what I just said. He grew his hair out, and he got this win over Askren, and then Diaz calls him. Okay, you wouldn't be wrong, but I would suggest you're missing a part. Because if, if you were right and that's all it was, then we would all be growing our hair out. And we'd all jump in the air and throw a knee and hope that it... It's not something you can duplicate. There was more that happened to it. And it's very relevant because nobody, aside from George Masvidal, this late, and as a veteran in their career, has gotten a bounce. Nobody. You get up there as high as you can go and then you dig in. Because you know you're going to slide at some point. That's what's called a career. But until that slide happens, as long as you can get right here and just stay there. No matter how many guys in front, George got a bounce. I'm submitting for you that Gaethje is getting his bounce. And Gaethje is doing things different. His manipulation of the meat, him standing up and punching Daniel Cormier in the mouth was a big deal. And don't forget when this happened. Gaethje was in a fight with Chandler that may have been the number one contender's mouth. Dana said everything except making that official. And I submit for you one of the reasons that Dana did not make that official is because it wasn't necessarily true for both guys. If Chandler had won, that didn't necessarily mean Chandler was going to move on. <clears throat> so Dana kind of laid out and let the pieces go. But Gaethje saw what time it was. So Gaethje's got to go fight Chandler. Oh my, that's, that's a hard ask right there. But he's going to go do it. He's going to fight Chandler. He's taking on Islam in the media. He's fighting for his position. He's wanting to make sure that if I get the best of Chandler, I get the credit I deserve, which is a number one contendership and nothing else. And Gaethje covered every, he crossed every T, he dotted every I, including matching up Islam and Benny. Now, even though this appears that it was just between Islam and Gaethje, that comes back to my argument, the perception is reality. Because the reality is Benny absolutely deserved everything those guys deserved. Benny 100 Benny has a more beautiful resume as of late than either of those guys. Benny's got some very big names in there. Islam got one, which was Dan Hooker. No, take that from Islam. No way. He did a great job. Benny's got Tony Ferg. I mean, if you want to just do this on paper, Benny's in that conversation. Benny didn't know a fight was going on. Benny did not strategically know we're in a fight over perception for popularity, and it's being done through the media. So Benny didn't throw a punch. Benny stayed the hell out of it. So then it did become between Islam and Gaethje because that's what the division was saying and nobody was arguing it. So all of life works. If there's ever a job interview and you're the only one that showed up, you're going to get the job. They're going to interview you and then just point at random and call the person over and say, hey, we, we think you're qualified for this. So when only Islam and only Gaethje stepped forward and nobody contested that, you got a guy who arguably on paper is the most beautiful option, which is Benny. The most beautiful option of them all. Wasn't even looked at. So now he's going to have Islam. Gaethje's given that the blessing as the number one contenders match. First off, Gaethje doesn't have that power. And second, he doesn't have the belt. But he still told the story. And nobody's argued with it. I'm bringing that to you because Gaethje's a big deal. Gaethje's a very big deal in this sport. I've been in rooms when he pops up, and I mean, you judge the, the the reaction of the crowd. He is a very big deal. He is not George Masvidal. 
He is not Conor McGregor. He is not the top three biggest star in the sport. He might turn into it. I hope that Justin Gaethje identifies what he's done differently. Because there are things being done differently and he may not know it. When he lost to Khabib and he drifted away and he went absolutely silent, I don't know why he did that. I do know it appears that he had some time to think while he was doing that. It appears that he had some time to think about what I'm going to do different because he's now doing it. And I don't know how far this ride's going to go. I don't know that Justin, most guys that come out and they're big talkers and they're in front of the media, they all go through the same thing, which is they didn't know. They didn't know people wanted to hear what they had to say. They didn't know they could move the needle just through headlines and press. And I think perhaps Gaethje just didn't know. If Gaethje's seeing it, if Gaethje has seen it the way I'm seeing it, and we expect more and get more of this in conjunction with the way he fights, you are looking at George Masvidal 2019 being done all over again and turning into Justin Gaethje 2022. Now, before I circle back on the subject of Hazmet Chemayev, let's give the latest on John Jones and where we stand on the former champ getting into the octagon. So this is not a commentary on what happened with John Jones. This is a straight-up matchmaking slash booking question. I am not being my typical dick of a self, never missing a chance to give John Jones the business. That's just not what this is. There was a piece of news that came out, went very under the radar, but it caught my attention. Prosecutors in Las Vegas have filed an extension extending the amount of time they have to criminally charge John Jones. Relevant because John was supposed to appear in court in October. That did not happen. He's now scheduled to go to court at the very end of January, January 30th. So what does that mean? What does that mean in terms of booking John Jones? Historically speaking, I cannot name anybody for you who has ever been had a legal anything hanging over them publicly that got booked. I can't remember that. And I can tell you firsthand when I went through it, exactly what they said. We are not booking you until this gets resolved. And I stepped in front of it and said, guys, the bad news isn't me getting charged with this. Okay, the bad news is I'm guilty of it. I mean, I can just skip to how this whole thing's going to end. I can conce- tell you right now. No, long as that's that, absolutely not. Matter of fact, don't even call us anymore, right? But it was one of these situations. So in John's spot where he's charged with vandalizing a police vehicle, the story goes something like John Jones headbutts a police car, gives a dent to the car, which is government property, to fix the car was in excess of $500, so it qualifies for a felony. It's something along these lines. But can you book him? Because the heavyweight title fight that seems agreed on, John's going to take on the winner. And Gano versus Surreal will take place two weeks before John even has his first court hearing. Now, the problem also with that is that this first court hearing is the second date for the first court hearing. What does that mean? Well, it means if they moved it once, they can move it again. And don't think there's not a game being played here. Oh, we're all slowed down because of the coronavirus. Golly gee, we can't get you in. Yeah, they could. Of course they could. 
They're attempting to inconvenience John. Maybe they don't like where the case is going. They don't like how light the punishment is going to be. And they're well aware that he can't get booked and you can hold a guy. Those are very real things that happen. And I don't know who John's lawyer is. It sure as hell isn't me. You put my client in handcuffs? You push him against a police vehicle that you parked there? And he bumps his head? I'm suing you. Now, we can settle this out of court. You take your case and I'll take my case. But you think that I'm going to reasonably believe that my client walked up to a police car with his hands behind his back and ran his head into the metal? And by the way, the whole thing's caught on body cam. How come I haven't seen that yet? This is the world's longest kept secret of body cam. And I'll tell you why we haven't seen it yet. Because you pushed my clients against it. His knees buckled. He rammed his head into your vehicle. I'm coming after you. But John never has these good attorneys. John just always seems to have a favor. Hey, let this thing play out, but somebody knows somebody and it gets caught. I mean, right, the history of John has been very fortunate as they go to court, but it's never because he's ever had a good legal defense. He loses every case that he battles. He just gets a slap on the wrist. And I'm only bringing this to you because something is going on here. And as it pertains to us, the fit, because we saw John over the weekend. John put out a couple of clips. And by the way, he looked amazing. I could not believe how good he looked. Physically, for one, he's up to say, he wanted to be up to 240. He's all a 240. I could work at the circus or the fair. You ever seen that where you go up to a thing, you pay the guy, and he's got to tell you what you weigh within two pounds, and if he doesn't, then you get a prize? I could be that guy. I've been sizing people up my entire life. Wrestling tournament, every Saturday from the time I was nine years old, looking around, figuring out who was in my bracket. Got very good at it. I'm just telling you, John Jones has reached his goal. He's all of 240. He could be closer to that 244, 246 range. Point being this, he looked great, and he was moving well. And he was like a cat out there. He was so agile. Now, for John to be training to that level, and John ran into a gym where he got kicked out of his home gym with Jackson Wink. So it was reported to us that he was just joining another gym there in Albuquerque. But now we're hearing that he's picking up and he's going on the road. He just finished up three weeks in Arizona, but he's going to go somewhere else, come back to Arizona, bounce around. I like that training system. That's how some of the top amateur athletes train. That's how the NCAA guys, because they're always on their own battle. And that's how the Olympic teams in every single sport prepare. I don't hate that idea for John at all. But I will share with you, with the evidence that we have that is somewhat limited, John is getting ready for something. For John to be buckled down, getting on a plane, going out and doing these camps, getting these kind of workouts, looking as good as he's looking, he's been preparing for something a little longer than he's let us know. And I think he's ready to return. I think that John Jones is ready to take on under whatever contract he has or, or, or that he has now worked out. I believe we are done. He is ready to see who's going to win between Surreal and Engano, and he's going to be ready to step in. And I believe because of his training, now this is a larger leap by me, but I believe that John is well aware how easy fights fall apart. Both of these guys got a belt, and Heath is going to be ready by the date that Angano fight's gone. I believe that personally. I believe that as sharp as John is looking and as hard as he is working right now, and the doubles and the, tra the travel, the weight is up, I believe he secretly knows there's a very good chance Surreal Gone and Angano never step in there. And John's going to be ready by that date. Now, what does that mean when you've got a court date looming with charges that can be extended that are already out of felony? What does it mean? Because the UFC would not be wrong in my opinion. They might have a PR problem, but in my opinion, 
When I speak about historically, I don't know anybody that's been able to get a fight while they have a legal charge going. That's true. But it also would matter to some degree. I would think, what exactly are you being charged with? I think in all fairness, and again, if I'm the lawyer and you got body cam that you've never brought out, you cuffed my client, you pushed him into the car that you parked there and he bumped his head, I'm coming after you. And if my client gets held up from anything, I'm coming after you times 10. And there is legal precedence to do that. John, would have to have a good lawyer. He doesn't. There's a way to play the game. It's being played against him right now. You think this date just mysteriously moved? No, it didn't move. It's all sorts of things that they could do. You can take a court hearing by Zoom right now and never even have to go a course or have never worked faster. Contrary to what they tell you that they're well, we're all slowed down. We're jammed. No, you're not. You're flying by. I come from a family full of attorneys. They moved John's date. They moved it to inconvenience him. They're playing a game. They're playing a game because they don't like where the case is going. If they liked where the case was going, they would get before the judge. They're, they're worried that they can't get the verdict that they want. They're worried that they can't damage him the way that they feel he deserves to be punished. And so they're moving the date so that he can't get booked. That's what's happening. John needs to fight back. Who put you in the handcuffs? Who pushed you in that position? And who put the vehicle there? not asking you guys for the truth. I'm asking you for a defense. What is Chemayev's potential, guys? Have you ever thought about it in this perspective? Let me ask you a question. Would Chemayev be the most popular champion in the UFC if he won the championship right now? It's an interesting question. And I have data to support it. I ask you this question because I just saw an analytics done by Google, and Chemayev is the most talked about non-champion in MMA right now. What would happen if he won the championship? If he won the championship right now, he would be on the fastest track to the championship. I can't confirm that because Brock Lesnar got it pretty quick, didn't he? But he would also be completely undefeated, and he would be the champion of the world. And he's representing all sorts of geography. He got his time in Dagestan. Now he's representing Sweden. The folks in the U.S. love him. Somebody in Chechnya represents him. The president of Chechnya. I mean, this guy, this guy has spread around a lot of geography. He's a big popular right now. Look, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm the promoter. I'm not real compelled to put a belt around him. And I don't really give a damn what one it is because I got three to choose from. I don't just have to go after Kamara's and have that conversation. I have a much easier conversation with his Adesanya's, and I'm not disrespecting Adesanya. Matchup-wise, Chemayev is much better suited to deal with Adesanya. I got a third belt. It's called the BMF. Bring that bitch out and polish it up. I'm getting a belt around this guy. It's one of these things. This guy is red hot right now. Not to mention, he's very likable. I don't like... When I, when I hear trash talk, which I like. I like the fun outside of the punches and kicks. That's true. I have an extent that my stomach is okay with. I don't like death. I don't like to hear about that. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to murder you. He says those words that I don't like, but he gets away with it. He does it with like a little bit of a smirk. He does it with a real friendly voice. The, and the accent always helps you, right? We can't be coming around here talking about death and murder and all these different things, but he can because he comes in with an accent and not a full understanding of the language. He's getting away with stuff, guys. Jemayev is getting away with stuff. I tell you, I think this guy's a star. 
Uh, let me step that up. We know he's a star. I just stated the obvious, didn't I? He could be the biggest ever. He could be the biggest ever. Khabib was the biggest Muslim athlete star. Am I saying those words right? He was the biggest star Muslim athlete. George St. Pierre was the biggest pay-per-view draw. There's some things that you can you can pin down and give a guy credit. So now you're asking, can he move the needle more than George? Could he become a bigger star than Khabib? And Khabib did it. Khabib became massive, but he did do it with a very specific demographic. One that Chemayev serves and Chemayev serves more, maybe. Google's a pretty effective thing. When I saw an analytics done by Google, not to mention that feels right. That just feels right without even seeing that hard data. That Chemayev being the most talked about guy in MMA that doesn't have a belt. That feels right. If you were to tell me Chemayev has talked about more than some champions, okay, I wouldn't disagree with that. That that feels right. So what would happen if you get the belt uh, around him? And people always love to have a conspiracy theory in this sport. And it always involves Dana. Dana's always the evil empire up to some, just always. He always is. But I've never seen it be true. I've only heard the word said. And I think this would be one of those examples. If we were to back the tape up to the most uh, recent major press conference, it was MSG. Media from all over the world. It's a press conference like you've never seen before, even by UFC standards. Dana spoke about Jemayev one time. He said, I have a plan for this guy. This guy's doing everything right. I'm a supporter. I'm his promoter. But slow down. It's going to take a little bit of a time. And Dana even said three to four fights which is a year to a year and a half. It's relevant. It's very relevant that you pick up these clues because you don't get a whole bunch of them from the boss. You got to pick them up when he sets them down. And I'm here to tell you that before you think that Dana's part of the conspiracy, fast-tracking Chemayev, Dana's pushing Chemayev at 170. The GOAT's at 170. The greatest pound-for-pound fighter in the world's at 170. Why is he not pushing him at 85? I think that's a real that's a real conversation. Think if I asked you to lay out a path to get Shemaev just to the title fight at 170. I think you could do it. And I think you could do it in less than the year and a half or the four fights. I think that you could, very reasonably. You better believe at 185 there's a shortcut. Very fast. And there appears to be a myth and a belief that's believed by somebody. It's not me. The Chemayev is not the size to go 185, even though in his time at 185, he's undefeated there. Even though his number one sparring partner is Gustafson. Even though we saw Chemayev versus Jack uh, Hermanson, I did an entire piece on it, guys. And then I go through and I read all of your guys' comments. The number one comment, I'm talking 70% and everything else total 30. 70% of the comments had to do with how big uh, Chemayev was. Many people were many people were saying the only thing that I learned from this match is that when Shemaya comes back, he's going to be a middleweight. I agree with you. I saw the same thing. Shemayev needs to be a middleweight. I agree with you. Shemayev is a very young man, and two and three years goes by like a snap of a finger. He's going to want to be a middleweight. He will be a middleweight by then. But we always have the conception, always, and this is a North American problem more than it is like, say, an Eastern Bloc, by example, which is less is more. 
Every time we have a guy that wants to change weight classes and he's North American, he's going down. Every time. But history shows us how effective it is to go up. George St. Pierre goes up, wins the belt. Henry Cejudo did not become champ champ. Excuse me, he was champ. Then he became champ. And now he's looking to do champ again, but he's going that away. History tells us going up is better. Daniel Cormier, hard time for the 205-pound belt, went and grabbed the heavyweight strap. By exit, history always tells us going up is better. But everybody that comes wants to tell you to go down. I come from a wrestling background. We cut a lot of weight. I went to the University of Oregon. We cut a lot of weight. Our coach, who was very tough, I mean, it was a very tough practice, but he would clear the day before the match. There was no practice. You have that entire day to yourself to make weight, and guys used it. Guys used it non two and three workouts just to get their weight up. But this was normal. They're in there with all their teammates and all their friends. It was normal. When we go to international competition, we travel against world and Olympic, the absolute best guys out there from different countries. They're not cutting weight. They get up in the morning. They feel great. They're hydrated. They check their weight. They're a kilo over, which is 2.2 pounds. They go for a 15-minute run with a sweatshirt on. They come in. They weigh in. It's an American phenomenon. And I do want to speak to it because nothing's too late. Nothing is decided. Chemayev is an absolute star. Google says that. I'm repeating it. Chemayev versus Adesanya is a very different... I'm not picking Chemayev to beat Adesanya, by the way. Adesanya is a loyal listener of this show. He's going to hear this and say, Chael, what, you turned on me? No, not, not in the least. But however long it would take Usman right now to beat Shamayev, it's going to take Izzy another three minutes. That's just a reality. That's the reality of the striker versus grappler. It's a very different style. It's an extremely different matchup. The scrambles that will take place on the feet and as quick as Usman would get back up, so will Izzy. It will take Izzy a little bit longer. That's all I'm suggesting. I'm being a bit of a dick to Adesanya right now, aren't I? I, I don't mean to be. I don't mean to be. But it's a very real matchup that you're going to have to look at. If you're calculating and you're strategizing and you're planning your pieces and where you're going to go, and Shemayev's already struck out at 170, they can make guys fight. They can leverage. I mean, that's what a promoter, he makes fights happen. I don't think he's going to have that same resistance at 185. I think he's going to have some guys, come on up. 170 was squatting on their spots. 155 was squatting on their spots. I haven't seen that same thing at 185. I mean, in all fairness, if I'm Chemayev, I've just gone with Hermanson. I've never lost at the weight class. I know how young I am. I know as human beings, we gain weight with time. I know four years from now, I'm going to weigh more than I weigh now because I can look back to four years ago and know that I may weigh more now than I did then. He needs to give a real, real good look. So it's not being discussed. It's not being discussed by you guys. It's not being done by the media, which means it's not being done. If it was being done at all, if this was being looked at, we would have heard about it, and we haven't. It's not too late. And Shemayev does need to consider that. Where can I get my most opportunities? Where can I get my most opportunities fastest? The answer is not 170. That's wrong. I'm not going to get my way. He's going to go 170. I'm creating nothing more than dialogue, but I'm right. Shemayev's a middleweight. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please head on over to Apple Podcasts, find your welcome, and leave a review for the show. Like Ray. Ray says, Chael, 
Very informative and passionate. Definitely going to keep listening. Well, thank you, Ray Ray. And thanks to all of you. I'm going to be back on Friday with more. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.